Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our ministries by going to breadoflifeboise.org. I'm glad you've joined us today. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and as we go into our study, we simply ask that the Spirit of God would open hearts to His truth. We're looking at Psalm chapter 32 today. It starts with, Blessed is the one whose sins have been forgiven. Verse 6 tells us that in the day of judgment, God will then provide protection for the godly. Then in verse 8, God promises the forgiven person divine guidance into their lives. Look at the order. Forgiveness first, then protection, then guidance in our walk. The walk of obedience comes after forgiveness and a relationship with God, not before. That is the gospel of grace. Note the order here. Godliness comes after forgiveness. We do not approach God with our good works and say, God, accept us. God, receive us. No, we come and approach God with the confession of our sins, the acknowledgement of our iniquities. We find His forgiveness, and then He raises up within us a good work unto godliness. And so, note that there is somehow this idea. Uh, kind of a triumphal idea of a kind of Christianity in which you read something like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, and you decide you're going to follow Jesus' example, and that's what will make you a Christian, and you will succeed at this example. I just had a conversation with a young man this week who was trying to argue that a Christian is merely someone who follows Jesus' example. A question I asked was, well, how faithful do we have to be to that example in order to be considered a Christian? How close do we have to come to the example that Christ sets for us in order to gain that title and with that title gain the inheritance that's promised to the Christian of everlasting life? Do we have to follow it 50% of the time or 40% of the time? Do we follow it 70%, 80%, 90%, 100%? There is this idea that I'm going to follow Christ's example and therefore I'm going to be a Christian and it's quite a positive thought. That's very optimistic of an individual. And they begin with kind of a sense of triumph and optimism. But listen, listen, young man, such an attitude is going to end with a great sense of defeat. You're not going to make it. That dream, that vision, that idea that somehow you're going to work your way up to salvation, that you're going to thrive in the presence of God and be received before the judgment seat because you follow Jesus' example. That sounds optimistic. It's quite positive. It sounds quite triumphant. But it's going to end in defeat. Actually, the life that Christ has for you is not intended to end in defeat. It's intended to end in utter victory and triumph. But it is intended to begin in defeat. You begin it in defeat. You lose at the very beginning. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. That is, an individual who says, I have no argument. I have no defense for myself. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They're saying, I don't have it in myself. These are the individuals who receive the ultimate blessing, the ultimate triumph. We come before Him as sinners. We come before Him as those who need to be forgiven. His salvation for us is so profound and so deep because it's offered up in the grace of Him taking our sins in our place. And we at that moment become, the Bible actually says this, we become slaves of the grace of Jesus Christ. We become slaves of Jesus. That's defeat. 
But in that slavery, we discover that we're not just slaves, that we're brothers, that we're his bride, that we're fellow heirs, and we receive the inheritance of this earth and all of eternity. What begins in defeat ends in utter and complete victory. Godliness comes after forgiveness. That means this life has to begin with this confession, this repentance, this not trying to save myself by my own good works, but trusting in the work that God has provided through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that God has made on our behalf. Note also here that this forgiveness, this day of forgiveness, this entryway into forgiveness, is a door that is open for a time, but it's a door that one can miss. And those who have been appointed unto godliness, those who claim the distinction of being godly are those who come to Him in the time when He may be found. This means that if you will not come when the door is open, the day will come when it is closed. And the Lord Jesus shared multiple parables along these lines, indicating that there is a period of time that God gives for individuals to repent and turn to Him and bring forth the fruit of repentance and trust and believe in Him. But if they will not turn, they will not believe, what is remaining for them is judgment, certain judgment. Those who would be made godly are those who find Him in the time when He may be found, and this is our time. This is your time. Well, this is what's happened to David. He's found him. And with him, he's found utter forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, he's turned into a wonderful relationship. Now we'll go to our introduction. In the New Testament, our Lord Jesus taught his followers that when they were to address God in prayer, they were to address him as our Father. Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 6, that because we've been redeemed through Jesus Christ, We've been adopted by God, and in this, God has also poured out upon us His Holy Spirit, a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. Here's what it says. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, verses 14 and 16 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. How did you receive that spirit? Well, John chapter 1 tells us in verse 12, verse 11, speaking of the Lord Jesus, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to those who believed upon His name, He gave them the power or the right to be called the children of God. It's something that you don't have simply because God is your creator. It's a title that's given to you because by faith you've received His Son as your Savior and embraced Him in your life. And in that moment, you receive an adoption. You are brought into the family of God. The word there, it says, by the Spirit is you cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic word. It's the word of a child's tender name for their father. It means Papa. It means Daddy. It's a word of possession, of personal identity. Its meaning for us might be our Father or dear Father. Now you see, when a person turns their life over to Jesus Christ and receives them as their Lord and Savior, not only in this way do they receive a salvation where their sins are all forgiven, but 
they are also receive at that moment the gift of God's Spirit coming and living in us, making Christ real to us, bringing the life of Jesus Christ within us. And that Spirit cries out the very tenderness of Christ's own relationship to the Heavenly Father within our hearts. And He gives us Christ's own tender terms of relationship with His Heavenly Father. Our Father! Abba Father. And this is not something that we intellectually learn to do. It becomes an intimate instinct. It becomes a new pulse beat within us. The sense that God is our tender, loving Father. It's the pulse beat of a changed heart and the indication of the relationship that the Christian has gained with God through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. We have a relationship with God now. That relationship is so deep and so intimate that God is our Father. Here's an interesting thing. You can go through the Old Testament, you can go through all the rabbinic teaching before the time of Christ, and you will not find that there was ever a moment when God was taught to be addressed with words of such familiarity. They were taught to speak in reference to God with such hallowed language that they had to even be careful the terms that they used. They had to come up with distant literary terms in order to even reference God, in order not to tread upon His holiness. The Lord Jesus comes along, speaks of this God who He says, He teaches, say unto Him, hallowed be Thy name. You are holy. You are holy. But you start this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. This was an odd and strange term, and turn that had never been taught before. But if you go back and read through the Old Testament, you will see over and over again that God Himself positions Himself before those who trust and believe in Him that they're just a turn in their thought and their minds to be able to say this word, Abba, Father. Psalm 32 is one of those. You have the hint of the possibility of addressing God as Father because here you have God shown to us acting as a tender parent, as a dear and loving father. David doesn't say, Abba, Father, or Dear Father here, but his heart is so being instructed into an intimacy with God that he is only a slip of the tongue away from saying it. And I think what the Lord was teaching, what the Lord Jesus was teaching us in the Gospels, and what he authors in us by the Holy Spirit once we receive Jesus Christ as a Savior, is something of what God, by the Spirit, was instructing and teaching David and something what David was discovering and celebrating when he wrote this psalm. David is rejoicing in a renewed sense of intimacy with God here. He says, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. That takes me back to those times and ages when, as a little boy, I was full of fear. And I was brought up into my mother's lap, and she sang as she rocked me back and forth. I'm watching over you. I'm protecting you. It actually brings me back to moments in time when, actually some of the more intimate moments I think I realized as a little boy was just after I'd got a good hard spanking. And after the spanking, mom would take you up, and she would hold you, and she'd sing over you. That is the image here. You are my hiding place. You are secure in me. I will protect you from trouble. This is the same one who was defying God and living in rebellion against God and whose sins were staining his life and separating from God. And this is his blessedness now. You surround me with, I believe it is your songs of deliverance, although it may be the company of others who realize deliverance from you. In this state of rejoicing, 
God breaks in with his own response. It's as if David is talking about how wonderful God is to him, and God is listening to David's song of rejoicing and blessing and this new intimacy he's found, and God can't help but speak to David. And he says, David, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you will go. David, I will guide you with my eyes. I will instruct you. That is, I will give you all that you need to know. I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will show you what you need to do. I'll guide you with my eyes. I'll be watching over you. I'll be with you wherever you go, David. And God speaks in and interrupts this song of intimacy. Let's remember how it is that David was brought to this point again. Let's remember that David has repented. He has felt the great ache of his own sins. He delayed confessing them, but as he delayed confessing them, God pressed in hard upon him and dried him up from the inside out. And then, finally, David stopped deceiving himself and fooling himself and saying that he was going to be okay and he could make up with it with good deeds. He instead acknowledged his sin. He brought it before God. He confessed it. As he openly confessed his sins and yielded in defeat and surrendered to God, as he cried out to God for forgiveness, there came to him the release and the joy of forgiveness that swept over him. And now that his guilt has been dealt with and is gone, he discovers that the very God who is heavily convicting him and pressing upon him and drying him up is now mightily forgiving him and has remained to secure him and protect him and surround him with songs of delight and comfort and deliverance. And God speaks and now and says, David, I'm here to guide you as well. I'm here to lead you all the days of your life. And so the relationship begins with, look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Thanks for listening in today to the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work in your community or around the world, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.